let's get right into this with Matt Doyle from MLSsoccer.com. Hey Matt, do you think that the Rebs can repeat the streak that they went on uh, near the end of last season? So I, I don't think that the that the Rebs are going to come out on anything close to uh, the form that they had last year. And I think it's important to understand that they're not quite as good. Even if everything is lined up, they're not quite as good as they were during that run when they went, what was it, like 10-1-1. They, they, they ended up getting some really timely goals to really win, but it's not like they were blowing teams out. So the, the Revs are still going to be a strong team. They're still going to be a contender for MLS Cup. Uh, but that, that blitz they had down the stretch was an aberration. They're not that good. Who do you think ends up starting the season up top for them? I know a couple years ago when they had Juan Aguidello, he was – kind of the the he's what made them work as an attack and they spent the first half of last year trying to figure out how to deal with not having him up top and finally they they worked it out does having him back do they revert right back to what they were before or are they gonna play more like they did last year I I think that it's they're gonna want him to eventually win that job uh, but I think it's it's probably Charlie Davies who'll be starting. Uh, from day one, just because he, he was very good down the stretch for the Revs. And he's like Agadello, he's a very smart international caliber brain, and he could do a lot of stuff without necessarily being a great finisher. Uh, Agadello also can be used out wide on the flank. Uh, Jay Heaps used him there maybe about 15% of the time a couple of years ago. But really, the, the biggest thing about it is that Juan Agadello hasn't played a game in nearly a year. He, he took what, six or eight months off trying to get signed by Stoke freaking City? <laughs> Has anybody loved Stoke City more than Juan Agadello apparently loved Stoke City? So it, he just had such a bizarre 2014. I can't see him walking into an MLS lineup uh, from day one. I think he'll be useful, but I, I think it'll take him at least a couple of weeks, if not months, to shake the rust off. I buy that. Um so the, the Revs were actually kind of emblematic of a lot of Eastern Conference teams last year. They had a really good run, and then they lost a million games in a row right in the middle of the season before they they figured it out. And part of figuring out was winning a particular blind draw. But they, they went on a run to end the year, and that kind of inconsistency plagued a lot of teams last year, which is part of why D.C. United ended up taking the Eastern Conference crown. Do you see that being a theme again in 2015 for the East, or are, is there more consistency throughout uh, the conference? No, I think it'll be inconsistent again. You know, the Revs, for all the reasons I just mentioned, I, I think I think there's very little chance that D.C. Uh, will be as consistent as they were last year, just because we see it year after year after year, the teams that play in CCL, whether they get eliminated in the quarters or the semis or beyond, they, they then kind of face plant in the regular season for at least a couple of months. Um, the, and there's just so many questions around the New York teams, around Philly. Uh, the only one that really looks to me like, okay, that, that's a team that's going to come out of the gate strong and stay strong throughout. It's, it's Montreal, long. isn't it? It's not Montreal. <laughs> Uh, though I actually have had a couple of players who aren't on the impact say to watch out for them. They think that huh. that team is a sleeper. Yeah. Uh, but no, it, it's Columbus. Uh, it, it, I, I think the crew are going to win uh, the Eastern conference regular season title. Uh, and it, I don't think it's going to be all that close to be honest with you. 
Uh, what about the crew makes you think that they're going to be so strong this year? Uh, they return just about everybody from their uh, from their roster last year. They have, it, I mean, this is the first time that Greg Berhalter has had an entire offseason to work with the team. Another year for Chani and Trapp to, to gel in central midfield. You can't stress that enough. Uh, and even, look, Kai, Kai Kamara is not going to win the golden boot, but he's certainly an upgrade uh, at center forward over the guys that they had last season. So it, the additions they made were smart, uh, and, and they'll they'll have a lot of rollover minutes. A lot of guys who played a lot in 2014 are going to play a lot in 2015. It's just a, it's a really good formula that they seem to have. Sorry, I just had a flashback to high school and taking my mom's cell phone and using all of her rollover minutes. <laughs> To talk with my girlfriend over the summer. Um, Nobody knew her. She lived in Canada, right? Hey, I'm not going to comment on that. <laughs> Signs point to yes. <laughs> Outside of the Buckeye State, who do you think improved the most this offseason in the Eastern Conference? Oh, boy, there's no one team I look at and say they are hands down better than they were last season. I think – the moves that the Red Bulls made kind of, you know, it, they were never going to improve upon having Thierry Henry and, and, you know, trying to, you know, build off of that is now just trying to avoid utter embarrassment. And I think, they have, <laughs> you know, with that central midfield, I think they will avoid utter embarrassment. Um, I don't think the Revs are any better than last year. I, I, I don't think the union are, are necessarily better than last year, though I think they, they do have the potential to be. And, and the fire, I have no idea what's going on with the Chicago fire. They, they have 8,000 forwards on that team. Uh, so, it, you know, if you want to say the one, it, it's going to be Toronto FC, but it's almost cliche at this point to say <laughs> Toronto FC are going to be, you know, the, the big team to look out for. I do like what they've done this offseason much better than what, what they did last offseason. And I, I mean, not to slam uh, the previous coach, but I, I think I think Greg Vanny is a, is a real upgrade. So uh, Toronto have the potential to be, and they should be, a lot better than they were. But it's Toronto FC, so you have to you have to wait and see. The bottom could drop out at any minute. If there's one thing we know about the franchise, it's that. The bottom will, in fact, drop out at some point. <laughs> They're the Washington and NFL team of MLS as far as just winning the offseason every year and then completely underperforming in often hilarious ways. Yeah, I mean, that's that's been the story. But I, I will say this. I, I do I do really like uh, most of their signings. I think getting Cheru to play uh, kind of deeper and more of a holding role and free Bradley up makes a ton of sense. Uh, I, I do expect big things from Jonathan Osorio. And, and, and I mean, look, Jovinko's a, he's an Italian national team player in his prime. That kind of speaks for itself. Jason? Uh, yeah, I, I think uh, it's interesting with Toronto with um, Sheru. I wonder if they're going to get the best out of him because MLS doesn't have too many. He's sort of an immobile, um, deeper player, and I don't know that MLS – teams feel that very often. I don't know if they're used to that sort of style of player. So I'm, I'm wondering if his 
lack of mobility is a problem uh, or if his his passing range and uh, being almost a deep lying playmaker there is going to actually uh, confuse a lot of teams. I think it will early in the season, but I wonder if teams are going to um, catch up with it or not. Uh, but the other thing I think about when I think about uh, Toronto is that they've already managed managed um, this uh, captain's armband thing in a, a classic um, English fashion in that they've turned it into a controversy when it's just a stretchy piece of uh, fabric that you that one person gets to wear. Um, it, it just it, it's a sign to me that that some some of the things there have not been cleaned up uh, behind the scenes um, that I don't think they're I, I still I did have to submit a uh, prediction of how the East would turn out. And I, I put them seventh, not based on thought, but based on uh, basically trying to amuse myself at the fact that it's <laughs> Toronto. So of course they will miss the playoffs. Um, of course, last year I predicted they would come in uh, second. Uh, and uh, I learned from that. I was like, all right, never again. This is, <laughs> I'm not doing this until I'm proven otherwise by actual real life experience, but they should be better. I mean, it's it's hard to argue with the number of players they brought in. It looks like they actually signed players with a, a formation and a system in mind rather than last year just sort of signing some guys and then leaving it to be figured out later, um, which might be what Chicago has been up to, incidentally, with um, I don't know how many new players they brought in. But I mean, you know, D.C. did that uh, last season and it worked out well. Obviously, there were a lot of proven MLS guys rather than players from ab abroad, but still. Um, Chicago's definitely it, it, the East is kind of a, a big um, mosh pit of confusion, but I think Chicago might be the least predictable uh, of everyone. I don't even think my, I shouldn't say might. I think they are the uh, hardest to predict because it's a it's a bunch of mysteries. Um, they still haven't really done much about their defense, but they've gone crazy for goal scoring. Um, then maybe they end up being uh, and I, I'm kind of stepping out on a limb because it's a Frank Yollop coach team. Maybe they end up being uh, the entertainers of MLS. Uh, we can always hope that a team becomes much more entertaining than they are, but it is a Yollop team. So I, I do kind of expect some long balls mixed in. Um, and by some, I mean many, many long balls. How long can it be before they sign another forward and trade for Lenhart? Oh, that would be fantastic. <laughs> I, I don't, relish having to play against Lenhart. He's not he's not who he was a couple of years ago, but but he's still a pain to play against. Um that that actually brings me to to another question. It seems like there are hints here and there of different styles developing across conferences. And I think as they they play each other once a year cross conference, that there's a better chance of that happening. Matt, do you do you see any hints of that or or am I imagining things? <laughs> Uh, no, I, I think you're imagining things. I, I think, uh, it, it's, there are, there are too many, uh, and, and the styles are, there are too many styles, different types of styles, too many, uh, too much diversity in how teams play to say it, it's a, it, you know, conference affiliation, uh, matters much one way or the other. And I, I think people are often way too sloppy with shorthand describing, you know, if you describe a four-four-two, if you say this team plays a four-four-two, you're you're basically saying how they line up uh, defensively when they're on the back foot, 
uh, you're not, I mean, the Galaxy play a 4-4-2 and RSL played a 4-4-2 and Seattle played a 4-4-2 and not one of those teams looked a hell of a lot like the other, uh, when they had the ball. And it, there, you know, you could also say, all right, well, uh, Sporting Kansas City play a 4-3-3. 4-3-3 is, uh, the system of choice for <laughs> possession, possession-based teams like Barcelona or Ajax Amsterdam. Except Sporting Kansas City had, I think they were middle of pack in passes completed per possession and near the top of the list in the number of long balls every year since 2011. So uh, it, it really depends upon the coach more than anything else. I, I don't think conference affiliation uh, has has much play in it at all. And the other thing that matters is winning. The, you know, Sporting KC won with the 4-3-3. So suddenly we have a couple of more teams playing a four-three-three, you know. And uh, if if RSL sticks with the midfield diamond and NYCFC plays a midfield diamond and they both do really well and maybe somebody wins a trophy, we're going to see more teams try midfield diamond next year. So coaches are copycats, uh, you know, and that's as true in MLS as it is anywhere else in the world and really any sport in the world. Ben. My main question, I, I have a bugaboo with uh, Orlando City. Uh, because <laughs> it's true, he does. I, yes, because uh, I'm a Richmond Kickers fan as well, and so I've had to see them uh, throughout the, their uh, time in the USL. Uh, but how well do you see uh, uh, Orlando City performing in their first season? Do you think they can make the playoffs uh, with Kaká, or do you think they're – going to fall victim to the uh, expansion team uh, problem and, and fall short uh, this season? Uh, I, I don't know uh, if I'm comfortable making a prediction on that just yet. Uh, you know, there is huge var- variance in, in what you can expect from this team uh, just based upon the expansion thing and based upon the fact that with Kaká, uh most games, they will have the single best player on the field. And when you have that, you can win some games you're not necessarily deserving to win. Uh, but Kaká will also miss a bunch of games with injury. Uh, there's, you know, he, he, that happened in his 20s. It's not going to not happen in his 30s. Um, so there, there's just a huge, there's a huge gap in terms of what we can expect and what we know to expect and what we should expect, I guess. Um, so it's tough. And, you know, just looking at the roster, it's a roster that makes sense to me. I, I, I like that they have a lot of guys who can cover a lot of ground defensively uh, because there are going to be a bunch of turnovers. You're not going to, you're not going to have a team that values the ball completely in their first year playing together. So it does make sense. But at the same time, I, I mean, with this, with expansion teams in MLS, you're almost always uh, right to take the under in terms of number of wins and number of points. All right, one more question for me, and it's it's kind of changing gears. DC United announced last week that they're launching a, a residential academy uh, mm-hmm. out in Southern Maryland, 
And it's uh, we all hailed it as a pretty big step, especially in combination with their partnering with the PDL team for their under 23s and the rumor that they're actually going to launch a USL team in house next year, not just partnering with the kicker. Sorry, Ben. No. Uh, no. <laughs> um, and and kind of developing a and a real honest to god integrated path from the pre academy all the way up through high school and and into the pros. Um, Obviously, we think this is pretty important, and and I assume you're you're big on youth development too. So if just take license to wax poetic about about youth development <laughs> for a minute. <laughs> well, I, I think if you look at what um, DC's development has already done, that their academy has already done with with Andy Nahar, who's uh, unquestionably the first big success of the MLS Academy system and Bill Hamid, a national team goalkeeper. Um, it only makes sense in any field. If something is paying off, you you should double down on it. You should take a, take a look, really figure out why it's working and then give more resources and try to do that uh, and, and try to make it work even better and produce even more. Um, in DC's case, I'm, I'm I'm glad to see it happening because they have been uh, a little bit frugal in recent years. And I think uh, having the momentum with the stadium and everything has maybe uh, given them license to take a little bit of a long view. As for uh, academies and USL team, like full reserve USL teams, it, mm. the line that I've been trotting out for a couple years now is that it took soccer-specific stadiums for MLS to survive without soccer specific stadiums, you know, crew stadium, everything yeah. all the way through to what's happening in DC, MLS would not have survived. Uh, and it's going to take the Academy initiative and the USL reserve team initiative for MLS to thrive, for it to really become one of the, you know, eight or 10 best leagues in the world, a, a league of choice as, uh, as the commissioner likes to say, um, it, it, there, there are just too many positive incentives to put money into this and to get the 30 million kids in the U.S. and Canada who play soccer to play it at a higher level from an earlier age with better coaches in a better system. Uh, it, it's thrilling. It, it is, uh, it is the next step. It is, uh, in, in 10 or 15 or 25 years when the U.S. is up there, and I honestly believe this, with the, the true world greats in soccer, people will look back and say, this is when it really, really, really started to happen, when teams started making these kinds of investments. I, I can't stress enough uh, just how huge it is. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, it's an exciting time, and it's it's kind of cool to be here. And we, we'll, we'll be the hipsters, the really old hipsters, someday <laughs> saying, I remember back when MLS barely survived. Yeah, I have a line about that too. I, I, I think there are two. There, no, there are two types of people. There are there are people who uh, want to be part of something great, and then there are people who want to build something great. And if you've been an MLS fan uh, for a number of years, then you are part of the people who really wanted to build something great. Uh, and I encourage you to be forever smug. Uh, about <laughs> about being part of that group. We might have to rename the podcast Forever Smug. I think that's fitting for, for the original dynasty of MLS, too. Okay. Oh, Guys, I remember, 
I remember walking uh, up uphill both ways to go to games in the 90s. It snowed every day too. Yeah, and, <laughs> and then you had to watch miles. it on, and then you had to watch it on AstroTurf. It, it was wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you guys have any other questions for Matt before we let him go? I think we I think we covered the whole. We did actually cover every team in the East, uh, which I don't know about you guys. I'm I'm pretty pleased with that that we remembered all of them. <laughs> I think that is a, a great note. To... Yeah, considering considering what you guys are drinking, I'm actually pretty surprised that you remember all. Of them. <laughs> we are incredibly high functioning alcoholics. You know that that the reputation of the DC area, and we fit it to a T. Uh, Matt, thanks for coming on the show. Um, Unfortunately, we can't listen to you on March to the Match anymore, but why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you online? Well, um, everything I write's at MLSsoccer.com. Uh, you could find uh, me tweeting flippantly at, uh, at MLS Analyst. Uh, and uh, th- there is some hope that March to the Match will be coming back sometime in the next month or so. So stay tuned for that as well. All right, that might be the biggest news we break on the show ever (laughs) all right everybody stick around this is filibuster the black and red united podcast we'll be right back welcome back to filibuster the black and red united podcast and you may be wondering right now, or you may have been wondering for that entire last segment, why we didn't bother introducing it. It turns out we did, but but somebody's Skype foo is lacking sorely, and it's not me, and it's not Jason, and it's not Matt Doyle, so I'm just going to leave it to you to guess who who it might be. Um, it's a goat. It, it is not a goat. Unless, it is a goat. Unless you have transfigured into a goat, Ben, it's not a goat. I may have. You don't know. God help us all. <laughs> um, we all did have drinks, and they were actually kind of hilariously embarrassing drinks, except for Matt Doyle, who had a perfectly respectable cider. And you'll see all, right, all of these on. drinks on the on the post that accompanies this I, podcast. I am absolutely not embarrassed about what I'm drinking. Okay, you're. You're I'm embarrassed actually. for you. I am definitely embarrassed for Ben and what he's drinking. You cut uh, me off, so nobody knows what I drank. I let you say fireball. <laughs> That's all anybody had to hear. <laughs> you said it was my wife's birthday party this weekend, and I said, happy birthday, Christy. And you said, and we had leftover fireball, and that's where I stopped you, because that's all we have to know. There's no proof of that. <laughs> no, because somebody erased it all. It's part of my master plan. Um, and, and I had a very poorly constructed drink, <laughs> indeed. A poorly uh, constructed Sazerac that he... Poorly constructed. Yes. That's, so everyone that's knows the poorly construction. And ben, did, ben, did you just reverse engineer getting all of the drinks uh, announced anyway? Yes, and uh, Jason impressed. had a Van Gogh double espresso vodka drink. Yes. He didn't remember is. that. Ben wrote it down. He's like Alex Trebek with the cards. Yes, and and uh, Matt Doyle was shamed by our drinks and got a Golden State Mighty Dry Cider. Which still end up being probably the best tasting drink. Out oh, of by far. Oh, Jason, by shut far. up. Jason. So I'm just going to say the most reasonable. It is Monday night, and, and the rest of us are <laughs> going going for hard liquor. liquor. Yes. All right. And I think part of the reason we need the liquor is because of DC United's performance this weekend against uh, FC Dallas. 
Uh, final score, Dallas 3, D.C. United 1. All four goals, mind you, coming after Michelle's red card in the first half. Jason, um, I have a lot of questions about this final preseason performance from D.C. United. Foremost among them, what the hell happened out there? Um, I think it was just a certain um, level of uh, shutting off and thinking that uh, after the red card that Dallas would just sort of bunker in and that would be the end of it and it would be a matter of breaking them down and there would be a lot of easy possession but uh, I mean anyone that follows MLS knows that if there's a team that's going to get a red card it's FC Dallas uh no one in MLS is even close to the amount of experience they've built playing with 10 men over the past couple of years and the funny thing about that is that Dallas does not just bunker in when they get a red card they make some changes they play deeper uh but they've still got so much speed on the field and one of those speedsters happens to be Fabian Castillo, who can, you know, even even 11 on 11 is going to always be a threat to ruin your plans by just doing something incredibly skillful while running very fast. Um, and they're used to using him as a threat. Last season, there were several games where they would just move him up as a forward and leave him up there to just do whatever he wanted. And it, it often created a real problem for teams that weren't expecting uh, playing up a man to have to defend. And it seemed to me, I mean, before the, you know, the red card came in the 23rd minute, the goal first, the first Dallas goal came three minutes later in between those uh, Dallas had created another half chance. And then for about eight minutes after the goal, DC was still not adjusting to the fact that Dallas was going to defend deep and hit on the counter, but those counters were going to be aggressive. They were going to throw numbers and, and Dallas hadn't given up on the idea of winning the game just because they were down a man. Um, and they weren't waiting for, you know, second half corner kicks and, and such for for their scoring chances. Um, so it was a very naive performance, um, which is not what you want to see heading into the Champions League, where, what you know, MLS teams, even the most street smart MLS teams over the years, uh, some of them have gone to the Champions League and just, you know, withered in under the uh, shift in momentum and the bad refereeing and all the other off the field and uncont- all the variables that come with champions league um so it's not it's not it's the kind of problem that you don't want to see i know it's a preseason game and it's all about not having injuries which you know may maybe we have one given that sean franklin was sitting on the bench with uh ice on his foot uh after michelle uh attempted to ruin his life by launching himself two-footed into him um but uh ultimately it, it's a uh, so it has to be to a certain degree about the performance and you want to see certain things in the preseason. And what you don't want to see are a collective drop in performance just because of a certain thing happening. Um, you don't want to see your team expect uh, a win just because there's been a red card in the first half. Uh, it DC did eventually start to figure the game out and then they got caught on um, so with some uh, counterattacking again in the second half. So uh, there were things to like. I mean, we created enough chances to have not lost the game, despite conceding three goals. We we created enough chances to win the game, actually. Yeah, um, we actually had some some real sitters that were missed. Yeah. Perry Kitchen whiffed on an open. It yes, it was a volley, but it was a side footed tap in yeah, five volley. yards out. Yeah, yeah, and then um, Harrow Arietta managed to do all the hard work very late in the game. It would have 
yeah. brought the score to three to two, which right. is it was an hardly condolence. He rounded the keeper and then managed to put the ball well wide, not just a little bit wide, yeah. well wide of the mark. I don't know what I, – I, I imagine he was pretty tired because he's a runner sure. when he's out there. But, but but also he was just very casual about that. Yeah. Um, that was not okay. No, I will there, say, were, there were some other chances okay. missed too. Jairo yeah. Arrieta, he, he had a really nice goal. Uh, but before that, he managed to put an open header off the post. And right. anytime there's a header open or not, it's unless it's really, really wide open with no traffic. And there was traffic in the box on this one. I'm not going to fault a guy for hitting the post on a header. Nick DeLeon got the ball caught up under his feet again because he cannot buy a goal at the moment. And, and after the game, he did um, – I, I think there was an interview on the team site where he, he mentioned that Moro Diaz did uh, make a little contact with his ankle while he was running, which is apparently why he was stumbling. Okay. But it is it is kind of typical for De Leon right now that um, if if he's not missing the chance because he snapped his head too early to head the ball – um, you know, something happens just as he's about to shoot, you know, an opposing mm-hmm. player just, just glances him enough where it throws him off balance. Um, with Arietta, at least I can live with him, not necessarily being a, uh, ruthless, you know, scores 50% or more of his big chances. Uh, if he, uh, he played 33 minutes and had three or four good scoring chances, yeah. if he's creating that many chances. I mean, no one's going to create at that rate. That, that would be 12 chances a game. That's not going to happen. Right. Um, but if he if he creates three or four good looks for himself over 90 minutes, uh, every 90 minutes he plays since he's not going to start that often, um, that's still going to be a good clip. And he, if he only finishes one of those, which is what he did against Dallas, uh, that's satisfactory. Um, if he's putting himself in dangerous positions that often, and we've also seen him um, show some unexpected uh, passing chops. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he's been setting people up for goals. Um I think he might be proving to be a better fit than than maybe I expected at this stage, just because it's been years since Arietta has been playing in a system where he, there are two forwards. He's been up front by himself for Columbus for so long, and he's not really cut out for that. He's five nine, maybe five nine. Um, yeah, he's not he's not a big uh, physical. He's not I shouldn't say big. He's not a uh, physically powerful guy. Um, he's not muscular. Um, he's an average five foot nine soccer player build. Uh, he's not the kind of guy that's going to hold the ball up. And so he needs that extra help up there. And, and maybe, um, maybe he's going to be more compatible with the forwards we have. Than, I, I was a little worried that he was a little incompatible with everyone, except possibly Luis Silva and Eddie Johnson. I thought with Pontius and Espino, he might not fit in with them as well. Um, we haven't seen him play with those two very much, but he might actually be able to fit in with the group a little a little better than I thought, which is a, a welcome surprise, especially uh, given his experience. You know, in the short term, his experience playing in Costa Rica, he had the best year of his, years of his career there. So uh, he may end up being very important in the coming. Uh, what is it? Eight days, nine days uh, yeah. for the, the two games. Yeah. And we actually had some commenters um, calling for him to start over Pontius alongside a spindle. In fact, his two headed chances, including the goal and the, the shot he put off the the post, both came with a spindle on the field yeah. with him. In fact, his goal was a really nice three on, I guess, three, three on three, three. Yeah. counterattack that Nick DeLeon quarterbacked. Um, it, it was really nice to see DeLeon running with the ball at his feet and then making a, a the right decision, which yeah. when 
which Chris Pontius failed to do earlier this preseason, running with the ball. He took the shot himself and had it blocked easily by the defender, not even the keeper. It didn't get to the keeper. Nick DeLeon drew the defense to him, put it to a spindola who flared out to the right, who first time crossed it uh, to the back post where Arietta was waiting all alone to head it in. It was, it was a finishing drill and that's, it was beautiful is what it was. It was really nice to see. Um, so it was good to see De Leon do something right. It was good to see uh, an understanding between him and Espindola and Arietta up top. Ben, do you think Arietta has a shout to start over Pontius down in Costa Rica? I I think it can't be denied. I mean, I think that Arietta has played very well in his uh, opportunities in uh, the MLS preseason, and Pontius has still not gotten himself back to where he has been, where we know he can be when he's 100% healthy. Uh, we don't know if that's ever going to come back for him, but I think at this point, given what they've been able to prove over the last six months, I think you have to consider uh, Harariyeda as a, as a possible starter over Chris Pontius. So DC United last year had they they tied for the best defensive record in MLS with the MLS Cup champion blah 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 LA Galaxy. Uh, uh, don't understand. Haven't heard that. Yeah, there those are words I just made up and put together. They weren't supposed to make any sense. Wait, guys, I thought the MLS Cup was won by Fabian Espindola's goal uh, against Waterhouse. I haven't heard of an MLS Cup. I I, I don't understand. <laughs> I don't know. Words. I don't know if you can put a star on a goal that was scored in the past, but I, I if we can, we have to figure out a way to do that. Yeah, I mean that that was the obvious goal of the year, and it wasn't eligible for any goal of the year categories. I it guess it was eligible for the FIFA last one. Night. It did. It actually <laughs> did. It was not, in fact, Birdman. It was a spindleless yeah. goal. Uh, or it was actually Parks and Rec, but womp womp. There's a there's so much sad happening around Parks and Rec right now, Ben. You just made me sad. This will be posted tomorrow morning. Watch the Parks and Rec finale tomorrow night or this night tonight. Watch it. I actually Watch meant it. off 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 Watch screen it. sadness that you made. Watch it. So DC United had the co best defensive record in MLS last year, and then we see this performance where they allowed a shorthanded team to score three goals. Jason, is there any reason to be worried coming into both the CCL and assuming a CBA gets done in the next however many days MLS this year? Uh, I wouldn't start worrying yet. Um, United was mostly very good in the preseason. Um, Very few goals. Again, Dallas scored more goals in that game than we had given up up to that point in the preseason. Um, so, so I'm not worried, um, as of yet, if it becomes a pattern, if we see, um, stretches of play where DC is collectively shutting off, um, which is what happened after the red card, that's not good. Um, that's, that's going to lead to some goals against, but that's not a typical thing. Um, and it's the same group of players with, with, um, they're, they're all familiar with the same mentality. I don't think, uh, it's going to be a, a thing that follows through now, you know, on a Thursday night, if we see the, a similar thing where something happens, it's controversial and Ala Valencia throws everyone forward and gets very, and 
they got very desperate over the weekend watching them play against um, Saprissa. Uh, this is a team that is desperate right now. Um, and if they start throwing people forward and we aren't ready for it, we're going to have a big problem. On the other hand, the flip, flip side of that is that when you play a desperate team and you're prepared for it and you defend it well, they tend to lose their heads really fast. They tend to make big mistakes um, against Saprissa. That was what Alajalense did several times. They just made a lot of bad mistakes. Um, Ex-Philadelphia Union uh, defender Porfirio Lopez, who he is an ex-Union defender because he was really bad in MLS. Um, he is first choice for Alajolense, uh, and, and he looked every bit as bad as he did back with the Union. Um, so it's definitely a team that if, if United is ready, they'll be able to take advantage. But it is something to think about that they had a, they had a moment against a team where the other team was a little desperate for a different, an unrelated reason, but still, you know, feeling some sort of desperation. And United's response was not a good one. And against Alajolense in both legs, there are going to be moments like that. There are going to be bad calls. There are going to be bad tackles that don't get punished, etc. We have to bounce back from them and continue playing, you know, high quality soccer rather than just assuming that that that's going to hand us um, uh, an easy situation. Um, but as far as the, the overall defensive record, I still expect this to be a, a very solid uh, defensive team. If anything, I'm worried about um, the uh, production at the other end of the field over a course of the season. I don't I don't know that we're going to be as potent as we were last year because last year we finished uh, more more regularly than we have in the pre this preseason. We've been very wasteful, um, which is it's nice to be creating chances this early. That's fun. But yeah. uh you don't but, want to see so many of them get missed as we've done. Yeah, we know Chris Pontius when he's on form can be one of the highest finishing rates, have one of the highest finishing rates in the league because he he's done it. Yeah. Um, there there's some question whether he can reach that level again, but we also know Nick DeLeon when he is confident in, in form, he can have a good finishing rate as well. He just hasn't been of late. You can tell when he doesn't take people on 1v1 that he's not feeling it. And when Nick DeLeon is feeling it, he's a very, very dangerous attacking player. He just, for whatever reason, hasn't been a lot of last year. And some of that but was it, on his role with the yeah. team last year. But but when he had a chance to go 1v1, when he did it, it worked. But he he would pass on those opportunities more and, often and, than he might have was, in the past. It was interesting to see him... Uh, find his goal scoring form right at the end of the season, not maybe as much as his rookie year where he really caught fire and became really, if anything, the team's most dangerous goal threat by the end of the 2012 season. Yeah. He scored, um, he scored the goal that put us past the Red Bulls. Right. That year. And he scored a few other goals in that, that stretch of time where Dero was injured and it looked like, you know, where are the goals going to from come from? He ended up being the guy that provided the goals in a lot of cases. Um, and last year, um, he scored. A, he was a little better late in the season uh, as far as finishing. I don't know what that is exactly with him. Um, that when the the summer ends and it starts to cool off a little bit is when he comes to life. But it it is good that he's getting into scoring positions. And it's sort of like we think about with a striker, where a striker, um, you, you you don't really start to worry until they aren't even getting scoring chances. Yeah. Um. And De Leon isn't. It's obviously not going to be happening as often with him. Uh, he's not going to get scoring chances over and over again like a striker might, but it is still 
as long as he's still getting into those positions, it means that United as a team is doing something correctly. Um, you don't get a chance to score unless you're actually playing good soccer somewhere on the field. Yeah, and I think so, he's actually getting more of those. Those chances for him are coming at a higher rate than they were last year. Right. I, and, I don't know if that's a change to the system or just United going with the flow and it just happens to be falling to him mm-hmm. at this point. But but for what it's worth, his he is getting chances this year that he might not have been getting in position to last year. Right. And, and I think the... I think that's a good choice of words uh, getting into position because the scoring chances he's getting are from like the penalty spot uh, or even closer to goal than that. It's not like he's having a shot from 19 or 20 yards. Most of his misses in the, in the preseason have come from really a really promising position. And eventually he's going, some of those are going to go in. Um, If he keeps getting into those spots, he shouldn't worry. He should be able to uh, produce his fair share of goals. If he keeps, popping up in those spots. And if he can add that to his, the rest of his game, um, that's a, that's a big plus uh, for United overall and, and for De Leon individually. And I will say Nick De Leon's a little bit undervalued on MLS fantasy this year. Look for a fantasy column, a fantasy kickoff column where there, there will be a black and red United MLS fantasy league this year. We will have our, our fantasy column written by Blazion says back again this year. Just look for that in the, in the very near future. Uh, Ben, anything else you want to talk about with this FC Dallas loss, or should we just put it to bed? We should probably just put it to bed. (laughs) I I don't think it's as big of a deal as people are making it out to be. It's a preseason match. Uh, In 2010, Jaime Moreno scored all of the goals in preseason, and we all know how that went. Oh, who was the Bolivian center back we got that year, too? Juan Manuel Pena? Yeah, Pena. He he looked like a world beater that preseason. As the well. mummy, and he ended up being uh, the undead. Yeah, he yep. moved about like like someone who had a reanimated well, corpse. Yeah, exactly. But mostly so, he just was injured. Exactly. <laughs> that was probably like, like a corpse. So let us have our narrative, Jason. <laughs> uh, so yeah, exactly. Don't yeah, so, read too much into the preseason. So even though we just talked about that game for, for several minutes, we're, we're going to uh, say it has no significance whatsoever. So congratulations us. We just wasted your time. Uh, and with that in mind, we're going to now look ahead a little bit. Probably not very much because Jason already talked some of talked about some of what I wanted to, to say with, with this game. But DC United Thursday night will be playing in Costa Rica against LD Alajuelense. Uh, that game kicks off at 8 p.m. Eastern time on Fox Sports 2 and I think the UDN, the Univision Deportes Network. Um, Which there is an app, too. If you don't get that, you can download the app for your smartphone and watch it through them, I believe. Yeah. here There is an app. I know that that's true, and you should be able to watch the game. Without paying any subscriber fees? Uh, I believe yes. I'm not 100% sure sure on that because I I get Univision uh, the Portis Network, but um, I think it's a fee free service. That's outstanding. I will also point out that that UDN along with ESPN are on uh, Sling TV, which I will probably be subscribing to, and they don't pay sponsorship. We don't have enough listeners for sponsorship. You should tell your <laughs> friends about us to change that so that we can get sponsorship. UDN is on Sling TV Sports 
tier, so you, you, you pay a little bit extra over the base rate. If you don't know about Sling TV, look it up. It's it's good for cord cutters. I'll say I'll say that much. LDA is coming off probably a run of form that um, puts DC United's preseason ending loss to uh, put, puts it in perspective. I would say they they just lost two to nothing to their biggest rivals, Saprissa, as Jason talked about, and they were coming off a loss before that. So they they've basically taken the last two games in their league season as tune-ups for this Champions League, which according to press reports and their fans, they are taking pretty seriously. So, Jason, does it encourage you any to to see that their two tune-ups for this game have been losses and not particularly flattering ones? It it is uh, definitely a good time to be playing them, I'll say that much. Um, Not only did they, you know, they lost to Saprissa at home, um, which is not just their biggest rival, but those are the two biggest clubs in Costa Rica by far. Possibly Um, in Central America, all of Central America. Right, and it's best to think of that as like a Costa Rican version of the Spanish League. Like, those two are going to contend. I mean, Herediano would be the uh, Valencia. Yeah, yeah, Atletico Madrid. I I guess that's a better fit. Um, I kind of spaced a little bit on teams in Spain. Um, which is kind of sad because I, I should know a little better. Um, you, but, uh, you feel, you should feel bad. I do feel bad. Okay. Um, you should. Uh, duly noted. Um, <laughs> but, but, but their loss before that was against, uh, Limon, who are, are one of the worst teams in the league. The game before that, they tied, um, Universidad Costa Rica, which is, I, or at least at the time, I think they were in last. Um, so it's been a bad stretch of games. Um, they're playing a formation that they didn't play last fall. Um, they're playing a four, one, three, two. They're very aggressive. Um, uh, in that formation, there's a lot of attack, even the, you know, the wide midfielders are almost wingers rather than, um, guys that pinch inside and support the, the central midfield. You know what it reminds me of Jason? It reminds me of DC United during the first three games of last year. Yeah, a little bit. Um, and you know how many games? You know how many points United got from those three games? Uh, if I recall correctly, it, it wasn't too many. It was he did one. not win those games. It was a single point, two losses and a draw, is what DC United got right. from that formation. That system that had one defensive midfielder and then five out and out attackers. And it was not good. And the, the problem is, is I mean, that formation can work uh, easily if you get the balance right. I just don't think Alajuelense has gotten the balance right. Um, Against Saprissa, they were playing uh, Armando Alonso, who in the group stage for the Champions League played as a lone striker. They were playing him as their attacking midfielder with two more forwards and two wingers. Um, and their defensive midfielder was more of a deep-lying playmaker than a ball winner. So um, they were good in possession, but um, their defenders were making turnovers. And they just looked like a team that wasn't prepared to... Uh, do the dirty work um, without the ball, and, and also a team that tended to uh, cause themselves big problems. They, were, they, were, they shot themselves in the foot an awful lot. Um, and also, I mean, this this is something that I tweeted right before we started recording. Um, two hours before we came on, uh, they put out a, a press release saying that they had rescinded the contract of uh, Juan Gabriel Guzman, who in the group stage played every second of every match as a defensive midfielder for them. Um, they were playing four two three one at the time, and he was uh, really the key defensive midfielder for them in in that setup. And he's now not on their team anymore. Um, 
the uh, Ryan uh, Kiefer, who has been on the show and writes for us at the site, um, sent me a tweet as a response saying that he he's in Costa Rica. Uh, lucky him. He's not sitting here in like 17 degree winter. Um, he's smart, I guess. I shouldn't yeah. say it's lucky. He's smart. Yeah. Uh, he got out Kiefer, while he could. Ryan and uh, and and Donald Blazin DW uh, yes. on the site and and on Twitter are both. Uh, Donald's on his way down to Costa Rica, right. I think. Uh, uh, probably as you're listening to this, guys, he's on his way. He's listening to this, sitting in first class on his plane because he's a bastard. You're a bastard, <laughs> Donald. I want you to know that. I love you. You're a bastard. Um, they are both in Costa Rica with a surprisingly large number of DC United fans cool. who've made the trip. It's really cool to see. Yeah, and I mean, if you can make the trip, I mean, um, uh, I actually watched the game. Uh, Donald and Ryan watched it at the same time. We were talking back and forth about it while it was on. What we noticed was that the the old um, myth of the Costa Rican fan base based on U.S. national team games going down there where uh, Alexi Lawless was hit with a D battery uh, at uh, playing Costa Rica. Um, there was the old story of um, players having bags of urine thrown at them from the stands. Those days are gone. Um, they don't allow drinking in the in the stadium anymore. Um, before kickoff, I saw numerous pockets of fans where it would be, you know, five Saprisa fans sitting having a conversation next to six or seven um, Alajolense fans. Um, they showed uh, several different shots of couples where one person had a uh, jersey of one team, one, jer- one person had the other team's jersey. Um, this is not the uh, – and to, to even go one step further – of the two fan bases, Saprissa is far by far the more fearsome, and um, uh, it's it's a much hotter atmosphere at their stadium than it is at um, uh, what's their name? Um, Alejandro Morera Soto is the um, Alajuelense Stadium. Um, that's sta- their stadium. Of course, you know that. Um, their stadium is on a running track. There's a running track around the field, so the stands are removed, and it's just generally a calmer atmosphere than you would expect given the reputation of traveling to play soccer against a team in Central America generally has, this is going to be a little calmer. It's a little easier place to play than um, people might be expecting. Really important question. Yep. Is it grass or turf? Uh, I believe it is grass. Um, so in every single way, it's a better place to play than Saprisa. Uh, provided there's not like a monsoon of some sort, uh, given that this is borderline tropical weather. All else um, being equal. Yes, it is um, it's a newer way. stadium. Uh, now, I will say Saprissa did replace their old, um, just the worst, lowest quality turf possible um, with real um, high-end field turf some, sometime in the last three or four years. But three or four years is near the – it's about two-thirds of the lifespan of a, a high-quality turf field. Yeah, everywhere so, outside of New England and Seattle, that turf would have been replaced. Right. Um so it's definitely a better draw than playing Saprissa, that's for sure. Um, and we're catching them at a great moment. Um, what I, I think I was going to say is uh, about Ryan uh, before we kind of, uh, as we often do, go, went off the rails. Um, Ryan was Ryan's in Costa Rica. He left this morning, and he was saying that he's already hearing uh, a little uh, whispers here and there while he's in Costa Rica that if they lose, if if Alo loses the. Uh, their coach um, Ramirez may be fired uh, after the game, like before the second leg fired. Um, he's wow. been under pressure all season. He's been every press conference. He's been clearly the quotes indicate that he's very stressed out. Um, he's got a 
sort of an antagonistic relationship with the press right now. They were doing fine. Um, up until this stretch of three games, they were top of the table. Um, losing to Saprisa knocked them out of first, which when, when you're in a league with two truly good teams, you're at, both of you, at, both of the good teams expect to win the championship. Um, so by being out of first is already bad enough, uh, in their book. Um, it's, it's, you know, you've got a player now, um, Guzman, uh, the rumor is, or the story goes that, um, he was fired after being heard, uh, on an audio recording, insulting his teammates. Um, my Spanish isn't good enough. He may have also insulted, uh, uh, upper management at the club, uh, on this audio recording that made it onto Facebook or Twitter or something like that. Um, so there's problems in the locker room. There's problems on the field. Um, it's a good moment to be playing them, but at the same time, the errors that we showed in Dallas, we still can't, that can't happen. Uh, you know, Alavante still has very good players, even with, you know, two of their, two of their normal starters are suspended. Um, it, it doesn't make it like it's going to be a walkover of a game. Um, this isn't like, uh, the game that comes to mind is when we played Chivas in 2011, the Chris Pontius, uh, hat trick slash broken leg game. Chivas USA, not the real Chivas. Yes, correct. Um, Chivas USA came into that game having all of their defenders basically injured or suspended. Yeah, Pontius um, had three assists. Davies yeah. had a hat trick on those right. three assists. It, it it was a game where it, everything was indicating that uh, we were going to win the game with with ease and with a lot of goals. This, I don't think, is, is to that extent, um, but... It's definitely a team. I think the opening 30 minutes are going to be huge because if they get frustrated, if if the game isn't going the way they want it to early, the fans are going to turn on them. All of the internal cracks that are, are there are going to start to show. Um, they got really desperate against uh, Saprisa. I mean, their formation's already very attacking, but they started sending way too many numbers forward uh, sort of recklessly, and then they'd be hit on the counter and it would be – they would work. They were doing the work to get back. They just weren't getting into good spots at all. It was a lot of running and not a lot of thinking. Um, so if United can get through the first 30 minutes and sort of dictate how the game is going to be played and be a little frustrating to play against, then it really sets up very well. Um, provided, obviously, I mean, it's CONCACAF, so there are still many variables that we can do nothing about. Um, hopefully the re the referee is from Mexico. I can't remember his name off the top of my head, um, but he's seen a lot given that he you actually know, comes and, with a pretty good reputation, is right. my understanding. And, and if you watch any games, you should watch the Mexican League if you've got the if you've got the time. Um, those games are crazy most of the time, um, and so he's been through a lot. Uh, uh, that's that's his day to day is being through you know, going through a ton of controversy and emotion in Mexico. So I think he's going to be up to the challenge. I hope he's going to be up to the challenge, um, given that in the CCL you never quite know what's going to go. Uh, go on uh, from that front. Um, but ultimately, I do think that if, if you could be playing Alo Valencia at any given time, this is the time to be playing them, um, which is kind of funny that that happened to us last year. Uh, we caught a lot of teams at the right moment. Uh, our run to this point to, to go through the Open Cup in 2013 and then through the Champions League up to now has just been a constant series of um, happy accidents and and good play is a combination of good play and happy accidents. And I think uh, there's the opportunity for that to be the case again here, which would be pretty nice. I would say it'd be nice for this to just go smoothly and easily. Um, I don't fully expect it to, but you, you know, beggars can't be chooser. I guess if it's going to be this nice, if it's going to be easy, then great. 
is what I'm trying to say. I'm just going to let you keep going, dude. No, I'm pretty much done. You want to you want to try rephrasing that that sentiment again? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> ben, do you want to rephrase that sentiment for Jason? No, I don't. <laughs> do you want to add anything else to the conversation? No. Okay. This has been the Barry Gibb Talk Show. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Everything is a sum. That's not the Bee Gees, dude. That's uh, Tegan uh, and uh, Sarah. Yes, I'm well aware. <laughs> Everything is great when you're part of the team. You're, I'm not going to take the bait and start Everything doing, is a sum. I'm not going to do the Barry Gibb Talk Show song. I'm not. You're not going to bait me into that. Thank you all for listening to the show. Find us at blackandredunited.com. We're on Twitter at filibusterdcu for the website at blackandredu. And I'm actually going to give our personal Twitters. I'm at the underscore AMT, Jason at chestrockwell14, Ben at BRU Bromley. That's with an EY at the end. Uh, follow us. We often have banter between us and other. Hashtag banter. Hashtag banter and hashtag narrative. We usually make fun. We usually aim our hashtag banter at the hashtag narrative. I think I got that right. Hashtag send, hashtag. send your what hate it? mail to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Or and, at the, the underscore AMT. Or, yeah, send it to me on Twitter. That's fine, too. We actually – I'm, I'm going to do an impromptu – Twitter box because we actually did get some hate mail from reader pirate Trevor who, and as I try to look it up on my phone right now, he points out that, that the lunar new year that, that just happened uh, is is in fact the year (laughs) of the goat. He, he says it probably has not escaped Ben's notice, but it might've slipped by Adam. And in fact it did until it did Trevor. not. It did Until not get by my notice. No, not at all. Until Pirate Trevor mentioned it, uh, the nineteenth of February began the Chinese New Year. We are currently in the year. We were in the year of the horse. Sort of boring, says Pirate Trevor. But this coming year is the year of the goat. We should do with that what we will. Uh, he also asked how DC United are going to score goals for the first six games of the season, goat. especially with uh, Chris Pontius, Party Boy. Uh, struggling. He asks all party boy all the time, and it, it, it might be that. Hopefully, Jairo Arrieta continues his form, and Luis Silva gets his uh, hamstring back on the field, preferably with the rest of them. Anyway, hate mail, filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. We are on iTunes. We are on Stitcher. We are on SoundCloud. Find us at any of those and subscribe and follow our RSS feed and all the other Stuff Mostly, though, when you're watching the game this Thursday, because we have real, actual, meaningful soccer, not just for an awesome trophy like an armadillo, but for a real, meaningful, competitive trophy like whatever it is the CONCACAF Champions League trophy is. It's like a swoosh going up with a ball. But it's not the old MLS Cup. It is not, in fact. It's a different swoosh swoosh with a ball. Similar ball. That sentence started off really well. Uh, mostly when you're watching the game for the swoosh with the ball, tell a friend about the show because that's how most people find out about us. So for Jason and Ben, thanking Matt Doyle again for coming on the show. 
I'm Adam. We'll talk to you next week after there's actual soccer. I can't believe I'm so excited there's actual soccer. Say goodbye, Jason. Goodbye, Jason. <laughs>